Well, welcome back. Um, Robbie has described to you um, earlier, you know, how dangerous and complex the world is um, at the moment. And, uh, and what I would say that is that uh, a lot of how this country will weather all this turmoil and chaos would depend very much on how strong the Australian economy is, right? But, uh, but the news is not entirely good, unfortunately. So in part two, I'd, I would describe to you what, what the situation is. Now, the first part I said it was lucky, Australia was lucky in weathering the GFC, right? This part I'm, I, I will uh, explain how the Australian economy depends entirely on luck. <laughs> and, and some people will... Uh, uh, um, Mr. Man Warring has... Yeah, has, has uh, in the, during the um, break, has mentioned how neoliberalism runs all the government departments, according to his experience. So that is, that is correct, in fact, because uh, since the early 80s, the, uh, the Australian government has decided that it doesn't want to have any planning. I mean, they don't, the economy should be entirely up to the free market. It's called the laissez-faire policy of neoliberalism, right? Which means that the the market should decide, uh, the market should should decide on uh, the, the market should decide on uh, where to allocate the resources. In other words, and how do you do that? Right? There there is an economic theory which uh, which uh, which has been taught at university since the early eighties, which is so neoclassical near economics or market approach, right? So this, that has led to uh, um, deregulation. In other words, uh, like for example, the banking system used to be uh, highly regulated in the, even in the 80s where government has uh, a lot more say on, let's say, mortgages. You know, they will set bans on, on, on what banks are allowed to charge in various things. But since the, uh, at least uh, since the uh, mid-80s onwards, all, all of that has been deregulated. And, but but uh, in order to not to scare people too much, they still have regulators, right? So that's why, that's why I, I call this uh, fake regulation, because they really didn't want to regulate, you know, but they still have some sort of people uh, so some sort of regulators uh, uh, appearing to regulate. But the, real, the reality is the credit and money, most of the money are created by the private banks, the major banks. They create money by lending, by, by the fractional reserve system, they create money when they give out the loan simultaneously. Basically, they give you a loan and at the same time they give you a, a bank account, a deposit, right? 
I mean, it, it, it sounds strange. They don't have the money, but they create two loans, basically. Right? And so, uh, so they, the, the banks control where credit goes. And therefore, they actually control the economy. And so where the economy goes entirely depends on where they think they make the most profit. Okay. So, um, just to recap what I said, in the short term, it was luck in the GFC. The globalization expanded the trade and, uh, and allowed also, uh, tends to have greater immigration. Um, so, however, a lot of people do not, have not noticed that there is a gradual decline in economic growth, which I've just uh, I've shown you uh, previously. Now, from uh, this particular talk, I would concentrate on um, a few items of what describes the Australian economy. The, the, a lot of uh, superannuation performance, which I've done a lot of research on, it's in fact illusory. I mean. Um, because there is a danger that suddenly a lot of uh, wealth would evaporate. But today I'm not going to talk about that. I'll talk about uh, the income inequality that comes from this laissez-faire economy. Uh, there is the, and also show you how the housing bubble was actually created by the banks, uh, not government, right? And, and how it's financed by a lot of foreign debt and also the long-term consequences are the uh, structure of the economy uh, where, where more and more goods are imported rather than produced and manufactured in this, in this country. So the, the de facto economic policy, therefore, is, is the driven entirely by bank profits, <laughs> right? And the and therefore, where, where the profit is, uh, so the, the economy doesn't, uh, has no direct, uh, clear path. It all depends on where the opportunity is, and you just, you know, and therefore where, where the economy is at any time is entirely luck, where, you know, um, no one says, you know, we should have this much of this or this much of that. And the, and the idea is that we should let the economy do its own thing, free market, whatever, and the government only comes in when there are crashes you know, or recessions. That's, that's the time when the government intervene, right? And, uh, and the rationale of this is that it was uh, articulated by Alan Greenspan in the United States that we can't predict whether there's something's a bubble and we, we can't predict when it bursts. So the, it is government policy, which a lot of people don't really understand uh, or, or, or not allowed to understand, is that government only comes in when, when everything, you know, uh, collapses. That, that is the, uh, the, the fundamental uh, policy uh, in most developed countries. So basically, it ends up being neoclassical free market in good times, when everything's going well, anybody can do whatever they like. And then Keynesian government intervention in bad times. 
So when the, when the financial crisis comes, there'll be bailouts, potentially now bail-ins, right? So the problem with this system is that it ends up being privatization of profits and socialization of losses. Because when the times are good, the banks make all the money and put it in the pocket. When, 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 when the proverbial hits the fan, uh, the, the government used taxpayers' money to save the system, again, for the banks. So over time, there, ha there has been uh, major and minor uh, hiccups, right? Over time, you have this particular situation. Since the early 80s, you see um, that the top 1% of people has gained a share, this is a share of national income, from 5% to about 10%, nearly double. So their share, the top 1% share, has doubled. And the top 10% has also increased, uh, the top curve has also increased substantially. Right? Now this situation is the same all over the world, not all over the world, but in the, uh, at least in the... Uh, uh, US and the, and the Australian economy. So this chart comes from the, the, the latest Productivity Commission report, which uses the same data as the, as the uh, chart I've shown you earlier, right, just the last chart. But this one shows you the top 1% for Australia at the bottom, and then UK next, and, uh, and United States there. So you can see that, that the income inequality is greater for these countries. But Australia is always following US and UK. You know, as the Donald Horn says, you know, they use other people's ideas. So, so that's <laughs> that, that is an example. So eventually, uh, you know, we may catch up. So another chart that I show you is, uh, is, is at different uh, sex, uh, sections. This is uh, Australian employee compensation. It is, um, I this is my calculation. The top 1% is given by this uh, one. And the, the left axis is the uh, average um, Dollar, thousands of dollars per annum. So the average person in the top 1% gets about $600,000 a year, right? And, and the, the next 9%, right, is down here, right, up to about 150. Uh, and then the bottom 90% is about the $50,000 level. So you can see that there is, you know, widespread income uh, inequality. Now, if you look at the, the, bottom, the bottom one, the bottom chart's hard to see in detail, so I'll expand that in the, in the next chart. So, so it's up to you know, 50-odd. The, the red line is, the, is when the uh, Hawke-Keating government came in, right? You can see that it's actually at the, uh, the bottom 90%, bottom 90% is actually done poorly, relatively poorly under the Labour government. 
Paradoxically, the Howard government produced better, better results. And then this is the uh, Rudd-Gillard era. It's continued a bit. And now it's the, uh, the, the, the latest liberal coalition government here. Right. Now, in contrast, the top 1% has a continuous rise. <laughs> right? so, uh, so you can see that they're triple in... in uh, you know, they're basically triple in, uh, in, the, in wealth on the average, the top 1%. Now, uh, part of this in income inequality is be, it's due to the fact that um, interest rates have been going down all the time, and because interest rate gets lower, there are more and more debt, because you, you, if interest rate is lower, you can take on more debt, <laughs> right? So. It is, it is basically uh, the, 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 the bank's banking policy, right? Um, the, the major bank decides that lending is the most profitable, particularly if you can create a bubble, right? If, if you're in the bubble, everything goes up and, and, and profit is assured. And, uh, and a lot of people think that uh, all this is part of, partly the government's uh, fault or whatever, but, but it's not. Uh, the, the government actually doesn't do much except, <laughs> except to, uh, to, to make sure that, uh, that all the banks obey, you know, agree to a certain standard, you know, a certain way of doing things so that um, none of them would endanger the system. Right? Um, the justification for the banks to lower their, their, their risk, risk weighting, right, the, the way that they lend, is through their risk modeling. Only banks have all the data that they capture from lending and they argue for a certain level of risk for different types of lending. Basically what they're saying is that, look, a business lending is less efficient than lending to housing. And so uh, I'll, I'll explain a bit more, give you a bit more data next. And, and the quickest way to make money, of course, is creating asset bubbles. And, uh, and asset bubbles are created by uh, lowering the perception of risk. So, and, and one of the ways to, to see this also is, this, is the general environment of constantly lower interest rates. Now, the... Uh, the, the, the red line is the, is the interbank uh, cash rate, which uh, w when it's smooth in, the, in this part here, it's essentially the official cash rate, the reserve bank interest rate. So that's, that's what that is. And the green line is the uh, ver uh, standard variable mortgage interest rate. So you can see that they generally they follow together. But the spread, in other words, the, the perceived risk that the bank want to, want to charge you uh, varies. So right now, in recent times, it's very um, much wider spread, right? And the public bubbles, it's largely driven by this uh, constantly lower interest rate. So lower interest rate is not necessarily a good thing. You can see because uh, for people that are buying the property, they've got to borrow a lot more money, right? Because house price is going up. You can afford to pay, uh, uh, have a bigger debt because you can afford to service it. Now, 
Okay, well, the, the, way, that, the way that the housing bubbles develop uh, from is, um, is due to uh, this, this thing here, the risk weighting. The major banks run this uh, internal risk-based uh, model, and they argue for the fact that uh, this, is the, uh, this should be the risk weight for mortgages. So it's falling lower and lower. And the impact of that is that the housing loans, as a percentage of all loans made by the bank, goes up. Now it's still about above 60%. All right. And the impact of, of, of this uh, situation is, is that uh, housing loan goes up, as in the blue chart, from like that. And, the, and what's left over will be given to the business. So business lending goes down like that. It's half, basically. Uh, and... Uh, And the, and the uh, uh, problem with, with this uh, lending practice, right, is that the business sector uh, are getting, uh, being staff of funds, funding. And so the, the trend for the last 30 or 40 years has been uh, in the production sector. I put, uh, there, are, there are quite a few sectors in the, uh, in the economy, obviously. And the, the production sector has manufacturing, which has been declined like that, right? And the so-called construction, the, the construction, construction sector has, has held on to about s from 7% for quite a while. And then it's in recent time, due to the, uh, particularly the, uh, the second part of the housing bubble has gone up, right? And the mining has, uh, has gone up, particularly uh, towards the end with, uh, with the... Uh, resources boom and the China trade. And the, uh, uh, the agricultural sector has, has gradual decline, right? I mean, you would, uh, this, is, this is relative to the whole economy, right? So, so uh, in absolute terms, you know, the agricultural sector is, is still increasing because the whole economy is increasing. But relative to the, to the rest, to the rest of the economy, it actually being in a slow decline. The next uh, is the infrastructure sector. Now, if you look at the the utility, it's had a very, quite a steep drop in the last uh, couple of few decades. Uh, utilities being water, electricity, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, transport has, has, uh, has done reasonably well, maintaining share, but. Even informa information has been quite volatile, and and the uh, you know the NBN is not all that. Um, in utilities, you know, like um, the government funds it out of their own funds, is not reported there on that crap. So the utilities. Uh, I think it it, it would be uh, it would be. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's it would be it would include uh, would be included uh, the way that ABS would be doing it. Uh, in any case, um, uh, government has been privatising a lot of their assets. So uh, more and more uh, things. The funding of the new capital works is still funded by them nationally, anyway. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, I, that would be the government uh, government budgeting. I, I, it would be included. It would be included here. Okay. Yeah. The um, because it's a gross uh, value added. Um, okay.
So, so this, this, this shows you the gradual decline of the goods economy. I call, I call the, um, you know, the uh, production uh, sector and the, uh, and the infrastructure sector, yeah, the goods part of the economy. And the sector that is, of course, growing is the financial services sector, <laughs> finance and insurance. And, uh, and to some extent, <laughs> real, real estate has, to, has kept, uh, kept pace. Uh, the economy's on fire. <laughs> on fire, yes. <laughs> so uh, the overall impact of, of you know, all these different uh, um, parts of the economy is, uh, is that the goods, the production and the infrastructure sector has been declining like that relatively and where is the, uh, where is the, uh, where is the uh, commercial um, finance and services sector has, uh, has gone up like that. So Basically, we have what, what, what we call a, what I call a bank-run laissez-faire economy, right? And uh, banks been starved of, uh, of uh, credit relatively, you know, um, has retarded the actual, the real economy. And a lot of the uh, finance have gone into financial speculation. Uh, and with the approval of the regulators, the regulators basically are, uh, are not doing much in terms of telling the bank what to do, just so long as they are reasonably, um, you know, reasonably well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and half the time the uh, regulators don't even know how well or how badly they behave, <laughs> because it's, uh, uh, who was it that says that, um, uh, they, they, they don't, the regulator don't deal with fraud, is it? Uh, uh, Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, that's right. Yeah. Um, mainly because it's, uh, it's, it's part of the economic theory that, that the markets are efficient, that people, people take risk and buy things uh, with full knowledge of what's happening. Yeah, that, that's the assumption of the economic theory. And uh, of course it's untrue and and so it leads to a great deal of uh, problems. Excuse me, uh, on regulation, how, how can uh, APRA, a small regulation um, um, mechanism in Australia, basically have any say or control over the worldwide <coughs> interlocking banking system? Good point. Yeah, good point. I mean, the, uh, uh, with globalisation, I think the argument is that because the banks have to deal with each other, we need a global regulator, right? And so all the, your, your self-determination, what, what, what a sovereign state like Australia wants to do about uh, banking and finance, uh, it's not allowed, I mean, because it, you, you, you need to be in, uh, in, in agreement with everybody else. So, so basically, uh, I would say that Australia doesn't have any uh, real say in how the f finance sector is run. <laughs> you know, and, and in fact, uh, recently when, when, uh, 
when Australia was a little bit, uh, shall we say, um, unclear or ambiguous about bail-in, right? You know, the, the, the uh, IMF come out and say, look, you know, don't be ambiguous. We want you to be more forceful. State very clearly that you, yeah. <laughs> we can, you can bail in, you know. So, so you know, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, Australia is not master of its own fate. And um, anyway, uh, you know, the, the upshot of such an economy is that temporarily when, when the housing bubble is going well, it masks a lot of problems because people are at least saying, you know, we're getting wealthier, right? Um, and basically, the banks uh, banks cause the income inequality by by uh, transferring wealth. You know, the bank transfer about twenty or thirty billion dollars a year in additional to what they should have from superannuation alone. And of course, uh, they made a lot of money through uh, this mortgage and mortgage fraud and so on. Um, so basically, in the, in the good times, in normal times, banks rob people their money through all sorts of fees in superannuation, insurance, and financial services. And in a time of crisis, right, government helps the bank to rob people of their wealth through low interest rates, bailouts, and bail-ins. So the, the, the economy is vulnerable in a, in a financial crisis because there is structural problems in, in, uh, in the real economy itself. And then there are also financial problems, which I would talk about uh, now. Okay. So, so the current account deficit, uh, now this, this chart again is, uh, shows real dollars in green on the left axis, right? Where is it? So green and the left axis is, is dollars, right? Billions of dollars, right? And the right axis is the same data, but, but uh, relative to the GDP, relative to the size of the economy, okay? So in, the, in, the, in 1991, around that time, um, Paul Keating says we're in the danger of being a banana republic. Right, so that was then, but nothing much has changed. You can see that the, the red dots is, we're still running the same, relatively same level of current current account deficit in terms of uh, GDP, and even worse in, in in actual dollar terms, right? Billions of dollars. Now, what 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 this current account deficit uh, tells you is that uh, the amount of money that that we need to give to foreign countries, right, minus the amount of money the foreign country gives to us. So we need to give the foreign country a lot more money because we owe them a lot more. And the next chart will tell you how the uh, current account deficit is composed. So this is just a cumulative uh, dollar. You just add every year cumulative current account balance. So the total is the blue, oops, sorry, the total is the blue chart, right, the blue, blue line. The, the uh, green line is the trade balance from, from uh, you know, each year we, we uh, import more than we export, so add up to this, right. Again, this, this is in billions of dollars, right. 
hundreds of... So the current account, running balance of the current account is about $1.2 trillion. $1,200 billion. And the, and, the, and the red line, which a lot of people uh, uh, may not be aware of, is what, is what what they call primary income. Primary income is to do with investment uh, payments. So if a foreign, uh, foreign country buys up uh, some asset, whether a farm or, or a business, right? they, they, they make money every year and they remit that money back to uh, the, the foreign country. That's what we, you owe them. Right? Uh, in reverse, when Australian superannuation funds invest in overseas stocks and shares, let's say, then the income from that is, 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 uh, is income to Australia. So this line tells you the difference. So Australia pays out more than we take back in. And cumulatively, it, it, it's worth you know, nearly a, a trillion dollars. Now the next thing is, is, to, is to look at uh, what about the banking situation in, in relation to these things. Now this is the uh, Australian banks and registered financial corporation the sum of those, all, all, all those things, these are liabilities. So, so in other words, it's, it's sort of like, more or less like uh, borrowing, if you like. Um, now, the, the, the thing I want to point out is, is that the, uh, the blue part, right, is this, this gives you an indication of where we borrow from, right? The banks, where the banks borrow from overseas. Um, a lot is from UK, the blue part, right? UK, and the and the grey part is U, uh, United States. So, uh, just those two countries alone, it accounts for most of the uh, uh, developed world uh, financing. Uh, this uh, the, this uh, the difference between the red and and the green is the rest of the world. Yeah, all the other uh, all the developing countries. So, so that's a total. Now, uh, the, the greatest danger, you know, in the short term is, is the uh, short-term liabilities, which is, which is debt, which is uh, uh, the bank borrow short-term debt because it's, it's cheaper, low interest rate, right? And, but the thing with short-term debt is that it needs, needs to be rolled over regularly. So as soon as, uh, after 90 days, you've got to borrow again, right? And uh, in order to, you know, shore up your finances. So normally there's no problem, you know, you, you just roll up, roll over the, your, your debt. But the thing is, uh, even though uh, the short-term debt is only a very small part of the total liability, it is still quite significant because... Uh, uh, you know, the, the number says, tells you here, right? It's about 300, uh, about 300 billion dollars, right? It may not sound much, but the thing is 300 billion dollars is about the same as the value or, or equity of the uh, Australian banks. Australian banks only have in their <laughs> net asset of of uh, about the same. 
right? That's a, that's a, the, the risk in a financial crisis is that when a, when a financial crisis hits, right, people don't want scare, people don't want to lend anybody money. So, so the, the banks will have difficulty in rolling over this debt. In other words, they, they have to cough up, find somewhere to pay up $300 billion, right? And, uh, and, and what, what could happen is that they, they could, they may print money and then try, and ex you know, try to exchange Australian dollars for, for the foreign currency. This is in foreign currency. Now, any debt that is in Australian dollars is not a problem because they can just print the money and give, give to people, right? But, but, it, is, but it is when, 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 when you borrow in a foreign currency, you can't print the foreign currency. Right? So, so, so there's a great deal of uncertainty about how you're going to fix that. Right? Now, basically, uh, let me conclude here. So I've outlined a lot of pro different problems, but the overall effect has been, uh, has been, can be summarized in this, this couple of quotes. What we have today is actually a global banking dictatorship because they, di di they dictate <laughs> where money goes and, uh, and a lot of, um, and, and it's due to, firstly, the fractional reserve fiat currency system, right? So it means the bank can create and control an unlimited amount of money, right? Unlimited un un until there is problems, <laughs> right? Now, this, this statement is truthfully, uh, I checked that it's from Thomas Jefferson. He said, <laughs> I sincerely believe with you, right, the banking establishment are more dangerous than standing armies and that the principle of spending money into to be paid by posterity under the name of funding is but right, swindling on a large scale. Now this second quote, right, is uh, it's 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 not sure that's from Jefferson, but some people attribute to it. But it's so good that I, you know, it doesn't matter who says it, right? It summarizes the situation, right? So if the American people ever allow private banks, right, to control the issue of their money, first by inflation and by def and then by deflation, the banks and the corporation will grow up around them, right? will deprive the people of their uh, property until their children will wake up homeless on the continent of their fathers conquered. So what's the evidence of, of, of anything of that uh, happening? Well, this is the most recent, <coughs> recent chart. Uh, and America is the canary in the coal mine because Australia just basically follows the United States in many ways. And there, there you have the uh, Los Angeles County homeless population. You can see they're, they're rising. So these uh, American, uh, shall we say, founding fathers of democracy you know, knew what they were about. You know, that, that you can't really allow private banks to run the country. But, which is what has been do, happening in the last uh, 30 to 40 years. And 
this, the, the result is for us to see. So the conclusion is about the Australian economy is controlled by speculative banks. It is structurally weak, gutted of productive capacity, heavily indebted to US and UK, which control the fate, its fate in many ways. And many, some of the ways are political, but I think economically as well. Um, hi, Wilson. Let me go first. So, just for the benefit of the audience, if you can comment on uh, Glass-Steagall, because Glass-Steagall doesn't end with fractional reserve banking, but it does temper the, the way the system works quite a bit. Um, if you could just describe how that can, how it has that impact. Well, uh, for for a start. Um, if the commercial bank, uh, which lend to um, businesses and, uh, and even home lending like they used to, is separated from all the investment banking activities, right, then the government can direct its rescue money, for example, the bail, bailout money, to the part that it wants, instead of, uh, it's, it's, it's all the uh, financial speculation, all the derivative, all these things that cause the trouble, mainly because they, they leverage up risk. So in other words, when they make a lot of bad uh, lending, right, they, pa they parcel up all these bad mortgages into, you know, CDOs, these uh, securities, and then they sell it onto somebody else, right? And in other words, they can create bad loans without consequences to themselves by passing off to somebody else. And not only that, on top of that, they, they know that they've got dodgy securities because the underlying loans are bad loans, right? They can go and bet using what is known as credit default swaps, right? Credit default swaps is like an insurance, right? So in other words, they, they go and buy insurance that these things, if they go sour, they collect money, right? They know that these things would go sour because they created it, right? And then they bet that they will go sour, and indeed when they did go sour, the, the bank collect money, so they're, so they're making money every which way. They they make money by <laughs> by, by by selling dodgy low, dodgy security to other people, and then they bet that they're dodgy, and then they make money out of that. And then they get all the bonuses. That's right. Such a good job. So so that part of it, at least with Glass Steagall, uh, would not a, would be would stop, right? That part of uh, the, the the gambling. The second part would stop. Now, it still doesn't uh, uh, stop people from making bad loans, uh, bad decisions, you know. But, but because it's separated, right, from, from the securitization, all those bad loans sit on the bank's balance sheet. So if, if the loan's gone sour, 
the banks suffer. There's no way of passing off all their problems to somebody else. Okay, so that's that's why Glass-Steagall works because it doesn't allow all this manipulation to go on because there's at least a war between two parts of the system. Would it be even better if we had our own sovereign currency? Well, we 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 have we we do have. I mean, the Australian dollar is is uh, you know it's it, what you what what you mean is that it would be better if we don't have to borrow in foreign currency. <laughs> uh, well, we don't have to borrow in foreign currency, really, right? But but we do because because uh, this the the. the the country itself is unable to provide all the money for the lending, and that's why they have to uh, ask overseas people. You know, if the if the country was more productive, right, then it would ha it would create all the money it needs to to do all the various things. What about the role of the rating agencies? Well, the rating, a the rating agencies uh, basically, uh, uh, shall we say, give an indication of the quality of the debt, right? And, and the quality of the debt sort of more or less have an impact on the on their interest rate, right? If, you, if, if an institution's got uh, high high reputation, then their debt, you can, they can borrow at lower interest rate. And, and at various times, the rating agency will, will give a, a, a rating on, on any particular debt as an indication of whether the debt is good or, you know, high, high quality or low quality. Now, uh, the trouble with the rating agencies, they also can involve in fraud, which is what is known as Pay for rating, yeah. Someone, someone gives them, give the rating agency a bundle of uh, uh, some loans, equity or securities, and ask the rating agency to publicise a rating. And the fraud that comes in is that they pay them so that they get the rating they want. <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, rather than uh, uh, objective evaluation. So well, yeah, the industry uh, has potentially a lot of problems because uh, the assumptions of, of, of market, I mean, the Adam Smith three market really only applies to simple and transparent markets. You know, if you go to your uh, uh, open-air farmer's market, you, know, you buy something dodgy, you, 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 know, you know about it pretty quickly, right? And, and next time you won't... <laughs> you won't go to the same grower to buy your produce, right? And so, so those markets work in terms of a free market. You know, you, you just you know, pick and choose whatever you want because, because fraud doesn't really pay off very, very well <laughs> in those markets. But in, uh, in modern financial markets, there's so much money involved, you commit fraud and you get, you, you get away with it. Uh, you can retire for life. <laughs> you know? So, 
So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, lack of uh, real understanding of, uh, of the economics behind a lot of these policies. The, you know, the, in, my, in my view, the economic profession is, is really a disgrace. You know, they, at university, they teach them stuff that uh, just false, untrue, misleading, bad, you know, but no one seems to stop it. And, and when I try to, uh, to write papers and tell them, you know, you guys are wrong, well, they just don't publish it. <laughs> yes, um, yes, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Doctor. That, that's um, been a very closely reasoned, uh, you know, overall perspective. Um, however, you've stopped short of basically saying that the banking system is an is a international criminal cabal. Um, and I'd just like to put a question to you and the <coughs> panel that um, Trump um, has been elected um, backed by a military intelligence community called, which goes by the name of Q. They've been saying uh, that Rothschilds, Rockefeller, uh, through Big Pharma, Big Banks, um, has basically wrought this system of debt slavery on the world and it's time for to be changed because it's about to fall anyway. I'd like to comment on that, please. Well, I I would uh, I would generally agree with that. I mean, as a you know broad proposition, but exactly the details of what goes on, you know, I'm not privy to. International movement. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and. And, and I think uh, you know, the CEC is great in, in actually stirring up. You know, it's not the first time that Australia has some, you know, lead the world in some ideas. And uh, now, now that there's a, a lot of people aware, of course, in the United States, UK, and even you know, other countries. I hope that Q is right, but I'm, I'm not convinced that Q is authentic. Um, one of the uh, one of the problems with the, with the Q and on theory that the, the, the existence of this um, secret force behind Trump is they've been really caught out badly being dishonest about Julian Assange. Mm. Right, claiming that he's actually <laughs> They were claiming he wasn't in the Ecuadorian embassy. He was, he was secretly in, in the United States. And they've revised that since that you know Trump just wants to get him over there so he can help, um, you know, expose the final elements of the deep state and put everyone in jail, etc. And so WikiLeaks has quite forcefully pushed back against that to say that the, the, the evidence seems to be that, that what Q exists for is to convince Trump's base that despite everything Trump is is doing or perhaps being forced to do in public, that secretly he's still committed to the to the, the proper agenda, just to keep the base on on site, right? Um, and they, they, that's referred to as a pipe pipe operation. Uh, the, the the real and, and, and if the, and if that works, then the risk becomes that the base do not force Trump to deliver on his promises such as Glassdoor, which he campaigned on, because they assume, oh, secretly it's happening, right? So that, that, that can actually be quite dangerous. But, but everything else 
about what it says needs to be done is actually true. You're right, it has to be an international movement, etc. Which is why the CDC works internationally as well as uh, in Australia. This um, this is a global banking dictatorship, right? Glass-Steagall, we, we, we would never advocate an, an international law for anything because then any, any, every time you sign up to international law as a country, you're giving up your sovereignty. But Glass-Steagall would work best if every country in the world did it, right? Um, so that you can undercut the, the power of that global banking dictatorship. And uh, if we can deal with what we know is happening and, and, and uh, you know, praise Trump where it's due to criticising when it's due to, so that he feels the heat of that, that can actually, you know, he's one guy, he's capable of, of throwing the, the toys out of the basket and going, no, stuff you all, I am going to, this, I promise this, I'm going to do it, right? And that would be a great thing. I would just like to elaborate on one point Dr. Sai made. It's very important in Australia that the, the domination of the banks that you're talking about is so massively supported by the economics profession, which dominates the government departments in every part of Australia, the state and federal governments. Um, the key people are still those people that had a training in neoliberal economics in Australian universities. Now, what happens in these government departments is the same as happens in the universities. Those people that dominate with those ideas, they will not employ people with different ideas. So when they're looking for new people in, even now, I would think, that are coming through for new jobs in the major economic departments in Australia, they are still employing the same neoliberal economists that have foisted on this country the policies that we've had for the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, this particularly started in the early 1980s uh, when this neoliberal economics took over the English-speaking world. So what this means is, I think, if you agree with the kinds of ideas that CEC pushes, is that these lobby groups that put forward these ideas are enormously important because you know, the government departments are not going to change. It's not going to change from within the government. It's got to be good, well-researched ideas coming from groups like CEC, in my opinion. Yes, I, 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 I agree. One more question. Good comment, yeah. Uh, it's Richard. Uh, thanks for the presentation, Dr. Sy. Uh, looking at your presentation and the clarity of it, I'm very impressed. But I see a parallel between uh, what you presented and what Mussolini represented back in the fascist years of Hitler. I don't see that there's much difference. <laughs> um, it was his regime, he was a fascist branch, and it was called corporatism, where he basically took the power away from the people and handed it on to the corporates. Well, I don't see a difference there. Um, so what's your comments on that? Well, there, there is a, uh, a, a concept which agrees with what you said, you know, which is, uh, the name is fascism, right, which is a, uh, a collusion between corporations or, in this case, say, the banking system and government. And they, together, they, they in a sense, that's, that's, that's what we have, I mean. 
what we have is, uh, you know, uh, in good times the bank just run the show, right? Yeah. When they fall over, now the government comes in and, and uh, you know, clean the thing up. <laughs> yeah, so, so in a sense, you know, what you, what you said, you know, it's, uh, is, is the case. I mean, it's just that, you know, when you use the name fascist, people think you're, you know, you're, you're being very emotional and political, you know. Uh, but, but, but if you stick to the definition uh, and apply the definition, well, you may come to that conclusion. They, they think that until the ABC gets raided. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, um, the only major difference that I see is that Mussolini's influence was fairly restricted around the Italian economy and, and obviously a little further, but this is global. What's yeah, going on here yeah, is, what yeah. we're doing here is part of a global Mussolini. <laughs> Except that the little twist is that uh, the, uh, the collusion between them and the government are all different in different countries. You know, it's, it's, we, we, don't, we do not yet have one government. Maybe, in fact, we do have. We just don't know it. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter who gets elected. You know, they, they will they will obey certain uh, you know instructions. Yeah. There was a good book printed last year called Game of Mates. Yeah. And it actually names a lot of the people and the way that they the revolving door. Yeah. And uh, it's quite an interesting read, and especially about Adani and things like that. It's quite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can I get everyone to give um, Dr. Wilson a